you. I was thrilled to have an opportunity to come and, uh, you know, just take part with this family and engage once again in this space, uh, especially because for me, um, the Sabbath that I was able to take this last summer was so profound and important for myself and my family. The idea that Michael and Jenna and family are off doing that exact same thing, I'll tell you, please pray for their uh, just presence with God, their uh, openness, vulnerability, and honesty with each other uh, to let God do what God's going to do in that time, whatever that is, without expectation or anything like that. We found that once we found that freedom, we really got to a place of peace, and it was an extraordinary thing. It grew our family, uh, and I hope that it grew uh, our community and my ability to lead even. So bless you for freeing him and them to do that. Um, This morning, uh, we begin something pretty extraordinary, and I'm super excited about it. In fact, I'm super, super excited about it. We are starting a, a whole summer on healing and talking about what it means to be in the process of encounters with Jesus. Now, as we get started, I have to give you a little bit of a heads up. I've been praying quite a bit about this, um, you know, for months, honestly. And to be really clear with you, healing is an extraordinarily important part of who I am. Uh, what I mean by that is there have been different healing experiences that I have had, witnessed to, been a part of, and even seen in my family. Uh, and so it's been an extraordinary thing for me to begin to think about what it might mean for everybody to experience healing. So as we come together this morning, I want to tell you, uh, a, a warning process. Here's, here's the warning process. Um, why do you come to church? Why do you come? Why do you pray? Why do we sing? Why do we do all that we do? When it comes to Jesus, why? Here's the right answer. In other words, I read it. Um, so here's, here's what... I think that what we do, all this stuff, we do this um, to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. Right? Like, we want to be like Jesus in this world. But here's the thing. Transformation can be painful. And so I'm afraid that what we've done as leaders, and please be, let me be one of the very first that apologizes to you and asks you for forgiveness. One of the first things that we did is we decided that it's a whole lot more fun when a whole lot more people are in the community with us. And so we do all kinds of things to make sure everybody feels comfortable, primarily us. And so what we've done is we've built an entire church for a few generations now based not on transformation, but based on affirmation. The truth is most of us, including me, probably come to church to be affirmed. To be affirmed in what we believe, to be affirmed in who we are, to be affirmed in all kinds of things that makes us feel better about ourselves so that when we leave we kind of have a nice little clip in our step. And there's nothing really wrong with that. But I want you to notice something about Jesus. When he begins his ministry, there are thousands. And when it comes to its difficult, worldly high point. There are only a handful. When we talk about healing as a community, we're no longer talking about affirmation alone. We're talking about transformation. Becoming different. 
And so I can't avoid this. You know, when we left here, we were sent out in joy, but there was also pain. It was rough to not be a part of this family. And I know for a few of you, it was rough for us to go. So it's interesting to me that by whatever reason, the first time that I get to be back in this space to speak to you from here, we're talking about healing. And it makes me wonder if we need to begin with a prayer for community healing. Not just for my part of this story, but for everything in between. To open up ourselves and say, you know what, Father, we, we're broken folks in some ways. We have some wounds. And what we really want is to be transformed. To be free. So let's start there. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, forgive us for the things that we have left undone. Forgive me for the woundedness that I left. Move upon us as a community in such a way that heaven feels so open that is an undeniable reality in our lives. Break now into the places in our lives where we have protected ourselves from healing. Shape us. Renew us. And begin this morning with the simple gift of joy. We ask all this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Would you stand where you are? We have to begin with a little bit of something that I have to have for me, and I'm sorry, this is a little self-focused, but uh, Jesus would have said something every day, twice a day, at least, probably midday, it's called the Shema. It's probably not going to be on the screen behind me or in the back of this place, but uh, I'm going to teach you how to say it. If you don't know how, we're going to say it together because it's something that, since Jesus would have done, we want to be like him, so in that transformational way, I also talk fast sometimes. Um, we're going to actually, <laughs> we'll do that together, okay? So I need you to wake up a little bit because this is not a prayer, this is not a song, this is a proclamation and we do it with some strength, okay? So John, I'm sorry, you probably have to turn me down because I'm about to yell and blow out the microphone, uh, but I'll tell you how it sounds first. For those of you who don't know, here's what it sounds like, just say it after me, Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Okay, more spitting. Adonai Echad. Nice. Sorry for the people in front of you, right? But here's the thing. Here's what we're going to do, right? Now, we're also going to do it in English. You'll say it after me as well. But we're going to do it with some strength. What I'm asking you to do, a little bit of permission for me, just come Asking you to do is bring a little bit of volume. I know we're all very appropriate. Uh, but let's be a little tiny bit less appropriate this morning together. Uh, just for fun and see what happens, all right? Um, so we're going to say it. I'm going to go ahead and lead the less appropriate parts. Um, but let's... Uh, Let's be kind of intense about the words that God is going to say to us and say, God, you are here, creator of the universe. Speak to us. Say what you have to say. I'm here to listen. Okay? Let's do that with some strength this morning. I'm going to say it. Say it right after me. Ready? Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. 
Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord alone. Love the Lord your God. With all your heart. With all your strength. With all your soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. Sorry, I do that sometimes in Hebrew, so I mixed them up a little bit. But that's all right. We're good. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that fun? All right. Yeah, give me some. How many of you, the first time, that's the first time you ever spoke Hebrew? And you're like, I don't really know if that counts as Hebrew, what I just did. But that's okay. It had a Texas accent. It was a little funky. But that's all right. You sounded great. Fantastic. All right. We do that with some strength. We basically claim some stuff together when we do that. All right. So now what we're going to do is we're going to say the scripture together. We're going to read together, if that's all right with you. It comes from John chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. We read together. Let's say it. After this, there was a festival of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, there was a pool called in Hebrew Bethesda, which has five porticos. In these lay invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, He said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up and I am making my way. Someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, stand up, take your mat and walk. At once the man was made well and he took up his mat And began to walk. Now that day was a Sabbath. These are the very words of God. You can be seated. Got a lot to do today. We're just getting started. So I'll go as fast as I can. But I'm not going to skip anything. Fair? Alright, here's how we go. There are two things that happen on almost, if not every single story that we're going to hear this summer. Okay? Two of them, and they're extremely important. So I need you to kind of follow along and track with me. It's incredibly important. I think that as spiritual leaders, what we're called to do is not just teach people what to see. That's kind of the small version, but be increasingly teach how to see. And so what I want you to do is as we track through all of this series, I want you to look for a certain series of things. Does that make sense? Just as you read the scripture, and I'd encourage you to do it before you get here, kind of be prepared a little bit. Uh, I think there are little cards or different ways that you can kind of track what the scriptures are going to be as we go. Um, and really let it all come up. If you have issues with healing, awesome. Like, I have issues. Great. That's perfect. I love it. I mean, the more tension, what we call hand-waving, like, I don't believe what you're talking I think that it's true. You know, all that kind of stuff. That's what a community is supposed to be strong enough to hold. We're supposed to be looking for what God is doing, experiencing what God is saying and and just taking part in all of this. Here are the two things that I want you to look for throughout all of Jesus' ministry, especially in his healing. Here's number one. Jesus speaks with authority. So say that right after me. Ready? Jesus speaks with authority. Okay. That's the first thing that you're going to see in all of these stories. Jesus shows up and says something that makes everybody go, what? Are you serious? What did he just say? And you can almost see all the people throwing dirt in the air. Now, they do that. They throw dirt in the air like crazy people. It's hilarious. They immediately, whenever they hear blasphemy, 
They're like, I've got to throw dirt in the air. And then they, I'll, they'll tear their clothes. They, remember, it's like what we would do is we would quietly go, well, I'm never coming back here. <laughs> Children, let's go. You know, and we leave in this kind of incredibly appropriate, silent way. Not the Jews. I can't believe you said that. That's crazy town. You know, and they, they go at it, right? It's intense. Why? Because this stuff is life and death. It's not an appropriate thing that we're intellectually understanding so that we might become a little bit better in the lives we want to live. This is the center of who we are and speaks immediately to our identity. So if you shake that, I'm going to get upset. And I'm not going to leave. It's like that, the classic fight. You know, you stay right in it. You don't just walk away. So as we, as we walk out into healing, you know, bring it all. Don't be afraid. God's not. I'm not going to protect him. No one is. And if he breaks out and when he breaks out, most often what we have to say is, never seen anything like this. So God, Jesus is going to speak with authority. Second thing is, he's going to move in power. So say that after me. He's going to move in power. So the two things. One is, together, Jesus is going to speak in authority and move in power. Those are two things we're going to look for. All right, so we can see that as we begin to walk into all of this. Because I think what we're going to see then is to say that what Jesus does is he says these extraordinary things. And then he backs it up with the healing. He shows you that it's true. So let's look at this story just really quick. One of the things that we can do is we can start kind of walk back in time. And what's really extraordinary about this story, and I have three basic things to tell you. Here's the first. When you begin to look at this scripture, you're going to see a bunch of numbers. When you see a bunch of numbers in the Bible, if you don't know that basically those are symbols and not signs. A sign is like a stop sign. It only tells you what it says. Stop. Doesn't say anything else. A symbol is like a cross. There's never anything that you could do to tell me the end of what that means. Right? Well, If we're not careful because we kind of think in a particular way, numbers can look like signs instead of symbols. But in the Bible, they're symbols. There are two numbers fascinating in the beginning of the scripture. The first is five. There are five porticos. Whenever you see five ever in the Bible, you have to think one thing. And that one thing is this, the Torah. Right? The first five books of the Bible. That's the foundation. Tell the kids all the time, if you want to look and exactly see how your Bible is built, you you grab the Torah like this. And you think of it as a house, this is the foundation, and it's all built on that. Jesus thought that way, so should we. So here's this picture of five. So all of a sudden what you have to ask yourself is five, what does that mean? That means the Torah. Who are these people then that we're talking about gathering up? More than likely these people, they're believers, they're the Orthodox, they're the Jews. Interesting, five porticos, five ways through. Next number is 38. Like, that's weird, 38. Unless you look at Deuteronomy 2, when it talks about that there's this moment when all the Jews are coming out of Egypt and into the promised land, and they spend 38 years being prepared by God and letting a generation go. What they do is they talk about those 38 years with the 40, one on either side, coming out and going out. One of the pictures. Okay? Kadesh Barnea is where they begin the 38 years. 
So what do we have here? We have the Jews surrounding the water. They're the believers. And the picture that we're supposed to look at is there where? In the temple? No. They're in the desert. 38 means that you're a people in a journey of becoming that you haven't actually become yet. That somehow there's something not quite right. There's a community here that is not healed. Jesus wanders up into all that. There's, there's a couple of other things just to tell you as a side. And I'll tell you that in a minute. So here, here's the thing. Jesus wanders into that. So what he wanders into is all of these people that are gathered around. And what are they gathered there for? They're gathered for healing. Why are they gathered for healing there? Two reasons. Okay. The first is this. We know that they're gathered there for healing because they're taking mikvah. Now, what mikvah is, is a ritual cleansing. And they're going there and they're taking mikvah. What's really interesting about that is they found many mikvah oat, which is the ritual cleansing, multiple plural, uh, on this side, on the north side of the temple. But they know something that's different about the north side of the temple than there is on the south side of the temple or on the west. South and west, the people that are coming there and doing mikvah oat are wealthy and powerful. People on the north are broken, sick, Lame and poor. Where does Jesus come? He comes through the sheep gate where he'll eventually come as the Lamb of God. Walks into a place where everybody is looking for healing. Who are those people? They are the faithful, but they feel or at least are experiencing the desert. Jesus walks right into the middle of that. And it's in that setting that he's going to begin to do two things. Reveal his authority and back it up with power. So Jesus is standing there, and there's this guy. This guy. We don't even know his name. This guy that's there, you know, 38 years, at least that picture is important. He's been there a long time as well. Now, there's a couple of things that are a little weird about this scripture, too. Why is, what are the two reasons that they're there? The first is the mikvah oat cleansing, right? The second is this. They're there because there is a temple to another god there, off to the side. Asclepion. Asclepion. It's interesting, too, if you look up Asclepion, what you'll find is he is the Greek god of healing. You want to know what it looks like? He holds a cane with two serpents that come together in a kind of upside down or triangle. It's like this, right? You've probably seen it on every ambulance. If you are in the medical profession, you've seen it on all certificates you've ever been given. That's the sign of Asclepion, the Greek god of healing. You know what I'm talking about? Now, what happens is that he speaks through the waters. Whenever you hear the waters moving, Asclepion is healing. And when he is healing, what you need to do is the, the moving of the water will happen. And so you need to get in that because the God is doing something. So essentially what we've got is an interesting mix. We've got all of these Orthodox faithful people that feel like they're in the desert and they're near or around the mikvah oat. They are poor. They are lost. They are broken. And, most of all, possibly, they are looking to another God for their healing. It says right there in the scripture that they're waiting. I've been here for 38 years and I'm waiting for the angel, the water to move so that I may take part in the healing. And every time I try to go in, somebody else beats me to it. So here's my question as we begin this process. Where are you? When it comes to healing, where are you when it comes to the transformation that Jesus has for each and every one of us? I mean, I'm in some good places and I'm in some bad places. 
be honest with you. I have some struggles and I have some crazy cool stories. All of it, all mixed up. Here we find ourselves with Jesus on this edge of doing this extraordinary thing. And we have everything that we actually may look like as a community. If we're not careful. We come together as the faithful. We recognize that we are in the desert. That we're broken. Right on the edge of the temple where the presence of God is literally right behind us. And we are putting our faith entirely in an idol. We bank completely in many ways and sometimes at least in a majority something else. At least we prioritize things we see as more effective. This is where he finds himself. That's where I find myself. When I get a headache, I take aspirin. And then I'm like, oh, I should probably pray. That sounds simple. But that's me waiting for the waters instead of turning toward the temple. I am more interested in my physical stuff primarily being handled by a system that is doing its best and does an amazing job. But as a person of faith, it has to be the second place I go to include. Don't get me wrong. Why is it that we don't initially pray? For healing. Why is it that we don't at least begin there? John Wimber said this. If you get a headache, pray and take an aspirin and thank God when it goes away. But I've got it upside down. I've got it backwards. Maybe you do too. Jesus then asked this really, I mean, I would get so aggravated by this question, I wouldn't even know what to do with myself. I want you to think about this. All these people are laying around. And by the way, do you notice that we use the word invalid just as an aside? Isn't it interesting that we change the way we say words so that we don't feel so bad about what we're actually saying about a person? If you call a person an invalid, aren't you really saying you're invalid? Isn't that weird? Anyway, as an aside, uh, so here's the thing. So he's there, right? And this guy is there and he's, he's laying there and all this stuff is happening and, and he can't get in. And, and so he's been there for years. Jesus knows he's been there for years. Jesus knows what everybody is doing there. He gets the whole picture. He knows that he's right at the edge of the temple. He knows how everybody's turned away in many ways. And all this other kind of stuff is happening. He gets it all. He walks up to this guy. If there's anything more obvious in the world, this guy needs what? Healing. What's he prioritized everything in his life about? Being at this pool, trying to get in it. Everybody beats him in every other time, right? So the last question you expect Jesus to ask should freak you out. Because he asks it. He stands there with this guy in this whole scene, looks right at him, looks right into his soul and says this. Do you want to be healed?
And I think sometimes when you hear Jesus, it might help us in English to put a really at the end. Do you want to be healed? Really? And for me, anytime that you see Jesus ask a question, you found the center of the story. You found a heartbeat. And this is the heartbeat of this story. And it's maybe the most difficult question that we will ask ourselves and others for a lifetime of faith. Do you really want to be healed? Notice he doesn't say, of course, why do you think I'm here? First thing he does, blame everybody else. I just can't get in there. Every time I try, somebody pushes me over, gets in there before me. And I realize something really true about me. I'm not always sure that I want to be healed. Some of my identity comes from my brokenness. Sometimes it's easier for me to believe a lie than to be released from it. It's more comfortable. It's who I've become. Who in the world would I be in my family or friends or church if I wasn't the guy that forgot stuff all the time? Who couldn't figure out how to put one thing into the, Who would I be if I wasn't the fumbling guy that couldn't blah, 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 blah. Ha, 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 absent-minded professor. Isn't this fun? Who in the world would I be if I couldn't play that role in the world? What would it actually be like if I was healed of all of those things and had some sort of power and control over them? How would it change my identity? Who would I be then? And I have to ask myself some questions like, I would be the kind of person that has to start taking some responsibility for the stuff that I'm called to do and to be. And I am not comfortable with that. I'm not. Now, please don't get me wrong. This is this guy. We have to be really careful each time that we walk into these stories to recognize that everybody has a different story. This guy's story Jesus sees into, and it may be yours, and it may be mine, or it may be part of yours. I'm not sure. But don't let that little voice start saying, I want to be, you know, just... Ask yourself the question is, who would you be if you were fully and completely healed? It could sound like this. What would it be like if you were fearlessly free and completely at peace? What would that look like? What if you lived a limitless life? Because that's so much of the picture that I think that we're called to live and to be. So sweet so kind we might live as free as that we might be more interested in love than in listening in action than in appropriateness some people will change less when we get to heaven than we think. And often we'll be surprised at who they are. So Jesus says, you're healed. And he gets up and he takes his mat, heads out 
goes over to the temple. We don't have time for the rest of the story. I got about three hours. Trust me, it's massive. <laughs> it's like, no, keep going. No, trust me, not keep going. It's what you're looking for. So here's the thing, though, right? It says right at the end of the scripture, he does this on the Sabbath. Ooh. That's not okay. Jesus is speaking the authority into the Sabbath to say that love is the primary picture on the Sabbath. He's helping reorder the beauty of that thing. And is backing it up with the power of a man who has laid there for 38 years, walking off with his mat. So this morning, just as we begin, as we start walking into all this, we had some extra stuff to do today, but let me ask you this question. Jesus speaks with the authority over each and every one of our lives and actually brings the kingdom into all of our hearts. How he heals us, whether instantaneously or over a time, that kind of depends. That's up to him. What we're called to do is partner with him to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. With every breath. And so as we begin to open ourselves up today, in communion, in a meal with him, and in prayer, I want to invite you to begin to think about that question. Do you really want to be healed? Because even if you can have a faith enough to say, I want to want to, you've begun. And to fully embrace and say, yes, absolutely, then let's begin. Let's not miss an opportunity not to be affirmed in what we have believed, but to be transformed by what he has to say in authority and do in power. Let's make this space a place where the kingdom is free and healing is real. And let's begin today. We pray with me. Father in heaven, I'm grateful for who you are. And as we open up communion this morning, I would ask that you would... Uh, Ooh, you'd give us a deep breath to feel you moving amongst us, to free us to be your children. Rise in us those things that need healing. Give us the courage to be upset with you, to be engaged with you. But most of all, Lord, help us to be transformed by you. Well, I'd ask that you bless everyone here as community and as friends. That your spirit would come now to heal us all. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. On the evening of Passover, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said, This is my body which is given for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. That same night after the meal, he lifted the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant was poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And then he asked us to drink this cup and eat this bread. And when we do remember him and what that means for us is when we remember him, it means not only do we think about it as history, but it has happened to somebody else. But memory means that it happens to us. This is a meal that we're invited into. This is a hope that we are given. This is a ministry time that we can be blessed by. And so 
I'm going to invite whoever is serving this morning to come up. Awesome. Super glad. When the pastor sees people move at that point, he gets real excited because he might not always know who's assigned. (laughs) So this is what I'd like to do. We're going to um, have communion this morning. I want to encourage you uh, just to come forward, receive communion. Uh, I believe we'll be taking by intention. You'll get a piece of bread. Just dip that gently into the cup. If you'd like to pray over in these areas, please pray. Um, We're just going to open up ourselves uh, to some ministry time. I would love to pray with you. There'll be hopefully other people that will be able to do that as well. Uh, And just join us uh, as we pray for blessing, encouragement, healing, all of it. Uh, And spend some time really embracing what God says in authority and backs up in power. So come as the Spirit leads.